So here we are in the, um, kind of in, in the middle of our series we're calling Mixed Messages. The idea in this series being that this, the, we, we had taken on a lot of messages from our culture that um, actually in Scripture are completely different. And we're so used to hearing these messages that we really need the Word of God to be like, like held up like a mirror against it and to see that they don't line up together. So we're going to be going through quite a few of these over the next couple of weeks. And so another one for us this morning, I'm calling this message, It's No Big Deal. I was a, I was a teenager in the 90s. That was a good Good time. There's a lot of awesome stuff that happened in the 90s. Um, I was dating age in the 90s, uh, and at that time, it was the height of purity culture. So if that's a new term to you, I'm happy for you, actually. Uh, it was like the I kiss dating goodbye. I just, just for my own reference, how many of you know what I say? I kiss dating goodbye, what that means? Yeah, so like about half of us have heard of that before. It was kind of a, it was a big deal in, in the evangelical culture. There were purity rallies. There was rings. There was pledges everywhere. I learned what the word courting was. I never did it, but I heard about it. <laughs> I was like, that sounds intense. Actually, the whole thing was actually very, very intense. That was the, what it was like for me uh, growing up in the 90s. I was actually really fortunate to go to a youth group uh, that was in a church where the leaders never taught shame um, around purity. They never taught guilt. And I came out pretty unscathed from that, that whole thing and all some of the, the real excesses of that movement, and I thank Jesus for it. But I have done a lot of reading, just, uh, just some of the reading that I have stumbled across or has been recommended to me over the past couple of years. Um, and this, these, these, these things from the 90s, these things from that purity culture movement keep coming up in the reading, and I realized that I did hear a lot of destructive messages during that time. And I, I would say, I just want to be clear, not from my church, because the leadership I was under was so excellent, but, um, but definitely from the broader evangelical culture. Here were some of the messages that I heard over and over and over again when I was a teenager. If you weren't a virgin when you got married, you were damaged. And Jesus had to restore your spiritual virginity or you weren't marryable. That's actually not even a thing, <laughs> to just to tell you that. But that's literally a message I heard. I also heard it was a girl's job to stay pure, to say no, to uphold a standard for themselves and for the guys that they were dating because men are not capable of sexual self-control and that responsibility is mine. Did anybody else hear that message? Yeah. This is what we were taught as teenagers. And I hope that even as I say those couple of things, there was many more, but a couple of things that there are red flags for you all over the place. Like there's just red flags for you. When you hear me describe this, virginity does not define your value as a person. It is not the indicator of your spiritual life, or it is not the unpardonable sin. Women are not responsible for anyone's choices other than their own. Men are not slaves to their sexual desires. All of that is garbage. And I'm sorry, men, I just want to say this to you. If you heard those messages, I've heard that from a few of you. I just, I'm so sorry that you heard that. And I just want you to know that if you're still thinking that's true, Jesus can set you free from that for real. So some of those teachings, um, of course, really, these teachings uh, about, about purity and modesty and chastity, they, they spiraled way past what was helpful and healthy in Christian theology. And I know where that, com that came from. I hope, I hope like from uh, kind of that point of view, I hope it's because 
There was a desire to protect what was meant to be protected and treasured, which is God's plan for human sexuality, which is a big deal. And there was just like this want to, to teach young people how to do this well and to protect themselves from harm. And some of these messages just really got spiraled into an unhealthy and unhelpful place. I'm really thankful that my kids haven't really heard these same overreaching messages through their teen years. They certainly haven't heard them from me. But what they do have is an extraordinarily mixed message between the culture and the church. Because the world's pendulum ha is, has swung all the way to the title of my message. It's actually no big deal. So here we have these excesses in, in Christian teaching and theology uh, uh, that I've just described. And in the culture, uh, sex is just no big deal. And, and I would say we probably aren't right on either side of that thing. I, I could talk for days. There's so much to this topic, and we always say this when we're preparing messages. There's always so much to say about every topic. We're just going to pick one lane here today. So I could talk for days about the, the shift in culture that we've had from the sexual revolution until now in the 60s. We could talk about pornography. Uh, it's, though it's been in existence for a very, very long time. The way it's being, it, it, how accessible it is at every moment is having this incredible effect on our kids for sure, but on all of us. It is just, it's, we've never lived in a time like this. We could talk about the graphic description of sexual encounters uh, that we find in the vast majority of the fiction that we read. The fact that if a Netflix show, <laughs> this is so sad, but if a Netflix show has explicit sexual content in only a few of its episodes, it's considered a win now. It's awkward in here because you know I'm right. <laughs> also, I don't have TikTok, but I, I, I watch Instagram Reels, which mostly is just TikTok content that's just been pushed to Instagram. But I will tell you what I've learned by watching Instagram Reels, that people will say, describe, show, or talk about literally anything at any time in any way. And so what I'm really saying here is that we are firmly planted in a culture that says sex is just no big deal. Except it is. And I suspect that all of us know that. My mom used to love to quote Shakespeare at us. Doesn't she sound so? <laughs> she used to. Well, this one line, not a lot of Shakespeare, this one line from Shakespeare at us when we were growing up. When we were trying to explain or justify something, as teenagers especially, and she would say, methinks thou dost protest too much. <laughs> Which, mom, by the way, if you're watching, I looked it up, it's from Hamlet, and it's actually that the lady doth protest too much, methinks, but we get what you're saying. You get it. I had to look it up to see if, you know how like, you, you think your mom tells you something, you think it's real, and you're like, I should really fact check that, if that's actually a thing, or if I just received that as truth because my mom said it. Methinks thou dost protest too much, is what I would say to the culture, who would yell, it's really no big deal. So can we just take a moment this morning, we're not going to get to everything, but can we clear up some of this mixed message? Can we agree that it really is a big deal? And also, we need to find out what the Bible says about sex without the shame that we've sometimes used to convince people to do it God's way. Shame is never going to be a way to, just, to make people do things God's way. Neither one of those things works. And that's our little bit of our plan for the next couple of minutes here this morning. It's both comforting to me and also very sad that the first century in Corinth was a lot like the 21st century in Kitchener. 
It really was. When you read commentaries about the times that uh, these, the letters were written to these churches, they sound so, like, it's different. It's a different geographical setting. Sure, there's different cultures and customs, but there's so much that's the same in human nature. They had been learning in the church from Paul and, and others who were teaching them about the doctrine of freedom, that they were free in Christ, that they were free. And, and so that's what they were learning, this new thing. And then also in their culture of the day, they had the, the thinking of the Greeks, which was very pervasive in their culture. And the Greek view was that uh, the body was of no importance. So that, that created either one extreme or the other. So if you think that your physical body has no relevance or importance to you, the one thing that people would do is just to treat it harshly, like self-denial or um, just, just really treating your body, body poorly in every way because the body didn't matter. But the other extreme of that was, this is what was happening in, in Corinth, is that you can do whatever you want with your body. Uh, there's, there's a freedom to do whatever you want with your body. And so one of the commentators describe it like this. So the Corinthians argued because of this uh, that in a way, uh, that they, they thought this was very enlightened, by the way, to let the body have its way. And what was the body's way? Well, the stomach is made for food, and the food for stomach is this argument. They went on. So the, the food and stomach naturally and inevitably go together in the, precisely the same way. The body is made for its instincts, and it's made for a sexual act, and then, therefore, the sexual act is made for it. Therefore, let the desires of the body have their way. Easy to understand. In other words, their argument was that sex is as natural as eating. And Paul, <laughs> Paul writes a letter, and he's like, whoa. <laughs> Like, mm, just whoa. And he sets up an argument against the culture. So they're, they're sort of mixing their teaching, what they've been learning about as new Christians and as the early church, with what their culture was saying. They're mixing these messages together. And Paul says, no, let me just say it to you like this. Unlike the stomach and the food that will pass away, the human being as a whole will not. And we were made for union with Christ, both here and for eternity. And since sex unites two people as one flesh, this is, this is a good thing in marriage because there's a covenant promise with that other person. But outside of marriage, it creates trouble. And so adultery or any, uh, having sex outside of marriage gives the body to someone when the body rightly belongs to Christ and your covenant partner alone. And since God's spirit lives in us, he goes on to say, we are a temple of God, and so our bodies are very sacred. They're not something, they're not of no importance like the culture tells you. Christ didn't just save our souls. He saved our whole person. And yeah, we're going to have resurrected bodies one day, but you are still going to have a body. So our bodies are not our own to do with whatever we like. They are Christ's. All of us belongs to Christ. We have to use them for his glory, not for our own lusts. And so casual sex is absolutely anything but casual. This is his argument. I want to read it with you together. Let's turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 6. Actually, I have it written here. It's going to be on the screen for you. Of course, version Bible app. You can go to more and then events. You can read that there. You can also grab a Bible in the, the seat rack in front of you. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, 
it's literally just, I just, I already kind of gave you what was happening in the context and what Paul says. Let me read it for you uh, word for word. We're going to start at verse number 12 in this section called sexual immorality. Quote, I have the right to do anything you say, but not everything is beneficial. I have the right to do anything, but I will not be mastered by anything. You say, food for the stomach and the stomach for food, and God will destroy them both. The body, however, is not meant for sexual immorality, but for the Lord, and the Lord for the body. By his power, God raised the Lord from the dead, and he will raise us also. Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ himself? Shall I then take the members of Christ and unite them with a prostitute? Never. Do you not know that he who unites himself with a prostitute is one with her in body? For it is said, the two will become one flesh. But whoever is united with the Lord is one in him, one with him in spirit. Flee from sexual immorality. All other sins a person commits are outside the body, but whoever sins sexually sins against their own body. Do you not know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God? You are not your own. You were bought with a price. Therefore, honor God with your bodies. It's quite an argument he sets up there, isn't it? So you see, friends, even as our culture would scream at us, sex is no big deal. It doesn't feel that way, does it? We don't really think it's no big deal, do we? Because while the culture justifies this, uh, this, this message as saying, you just think it's a big deal because you're just receiving an antiquated message that you've been socialized into. The scriptures actually give us a picture of why sex outside of marriage, outside of God's plan for it, hurts so much and does so much damage, and friends, it does. The way this is written, you can see these quotes in here, the way this is written makes it seem that Paul is quoting something that they were saying, and probably because they had learned it from him. Everything is permissible, or I have the right to do anything. This is another one my mom used to say, also in the scripture. The old NIV <laughs> translated this as everything is permissible. And my mom would always say that to me. I'd be like, I can do that, whatever. She'd be like, everything is permissible, Tracy, but not everything is beneficial. Yeah, okay, all right. I have the right to do anything is the quote, which is probably something that Paul himself had said to them. You have the right to do anything because he was trying to teach them about Christian freedom because a lot of them were coming from very different religious backgrounds. Those who were Jewish were under the law. And they understood following the law. They understood that they couldn't be right with God unless they did all of these 613 laws correctly. And, and, and he was like, you know what? You're free. You're free from that. You don't have to live under the burden of the law. Christ has come and set you free was the message he brought to them. Those coming from other religions, from the pagan religions, had their own sets of rules and cultures and customs. And he's like, listen, you are free from that. You don't have to do those things anymore. You're free in Christ. He brought this message of freedom to them, and now they're using it in an improper way. What he was saying is that you have Christian freedom over all of this legalism. But now it seems that they had been using it as a catchphrase to justify their behavior. And so Paul's clarifying this, and his message to the Corinthian church is the same as this message, as the message to the, the church today. We are free to sin. We have that freedom. But we are also free to not sin. We have the freedom to do it Jesus' way. 
Habits quickly take control of us. But in Christ, we have the strength to not be controlled by anything. And we belong to him and not ourselves. That's his message. See, church, this, this changes everything. We are in Christ. We don't belong to ourselves. We need to understand this to the core of our being. We often think about surrendering to Christ as surrendering our worries or surrendering our decisions or those kinds of things. And that's absolutely true. It is that, but it's so much more. Surrendering to Christ is all. It's all you are. It's all you have. There's no part of you that isn't included. There's no part of your life that you're in charge of anymore. It's all his. That's what it means to follow Christ. And this is a hard message. Except it's not. I know that makes no sense. It really does. It's difficult to think about giving up control of every part of who you are. Our sinful nature is like built for control. I love having my ducks in a row. And I like to know exactly what's going to happen next. So this is a very hard message, except when I step back, get some perspective, and think about it, it's not. Because what does it mean that you are, are loved so much that you were bought with such a high price as Jesus' blood? It means that nothing else compares to living in him and for him. Who else loves you like that? Who else is worthy of that kind of lordship in your life? No one else, nothing else can compare to how he loves me, to how he cares for me. His love is sacrificial and is selfless. And it pursues me over and over again with grace and with mercy, regardless of where I've been or what I've done or where I'm at right now. And so from that perspective, I can see that his ways and his commands are for my flourishing. Nothing else. There's no part of this where God sets out these boundaries for anything in our lives, in this particular case, for our sexuality, that God sets out boundaries just to prove that he can. He has no motivation to just be like, let me just make it difficult. Let me just make it hard for them. No, absolutely not. I, I, was, I was thinking about this concept. Um, this happens a lot, but the most, maybe the most fresh uh, version of this in my mind is all of my kids now have their, their G2 licenses, and so we had to go through that process of, with them of teaching them to drive, because they did driver's ed, but they didn't really learn much, and then they, to get them ready for their test, we actually had to do the practicing with them and whatever, and it's the hardest and most terrifying thing you've ever done in your life, and uh, that's, that's all. So if you're in that stage in life, I just want to be praying for you. I love you. I'm with you. Um, they're all great drivers now, though. It was just, there was some, there was some years in there, and so I... I, I was like driving. I think this happened with each one of my kids individually. I, I remember it a couple of times specifically, but I think it, I think it did happen with each of them where we'd be driving and, and they'd, be, they'd be driving and I'd be sitting there <laughs> just so calm and just really encouraging them in every way. And, and they would do something and I would say, stop, stop and stop or whatever. Or I'd be like, go, 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 go or whatever. And, and they would not do the thing. They would just absolutely not, they would do the opposite thing to what I said to do. And, and then I would, I would be like, pull the car. You pull the car over. You pull the car over. Pull the car over. And they'd be like, what? 
what? And I would say, okay, listen. In no way, shape, or form do I have skin in this game other than to not die, right? <laughs> I am telling you these things for your own good, for the good of the other car, for the good of our car, for the good of you, for the good. Everybody is good. I have no reason to tell you the opposite thing just, be, just to prove I can. Like, I'm not sitting here going, ha, ha, ha. I wonder if I say, stop, 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 they'll do it. Ha, 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 ha. Like, no. You literally needed to stop the car for your own benefit. There's no, I have no skin in the game other than that, you know. I don't know if this lecture worked, but it's funny to think about now. <laughs> I also like to take this moment to confess um, that I apologize to my kids publicly just for what a failure I was at teaching them how to drive. And the fact that we are all, we love each other very much and they're all good drivers now is by the grace of God only. And by no, by no merit of your mother and I love you and I'm sorry. But this is kind of what I'm thinking about when I think about these things. We, the culture tells us that, um, that the, the constraints that God puts around sexuality is, is to, like, I don't know, just to make things difficult for you. And they're not fair. And how could you possibly? And, and all of those things. And he has no reason to do that. His only reason to put constraints around you is to say, I love you so much. Stop the car. Stop the car. Do you know what I'm saying? His ways and his commands are for my flourishing, nothing else. The culture's view of sex, I, I love this, I read this in one of the commentaries, is like the uncontrollable power of lightning. Whereas God's sexual ethic is like the safety of harnessed electricity that, that makes the building work. It's not destructive, it's not out of control, it, it, it is useful. It does what it's supposed to do. It makes things work. It doesn't destroy. It doesn't harm. And the question for the Christ follower, in, and we're talking about this for all, all your whole life, but we're talking specifically about sex this morning. Do I trust what he says? Do I trust him in this? It wasn't just the Corinthian culture that was like ours. It was the same in Thessalonica. Chastity and sexual purity were unknown virtues there, according to the historians. Sound familiar? Paul's teaching to that church would have been very difficult for them, even as it's difficult in our culture now. Let's read it in 1 Thessalonians 4, 3 to 8. This is what he said in his letter to the church of Thessalonica. It is God's will that you should be sanctified, that you should avoid sexual immorality, that each of you should learn to control your own body in a way that is holy and honorable, not in passionate lust like the pagans who do not know God. And that in this matter, no one should wrong or take advantage of a brother or sister. The Lord will punish those who commit such sins as we told you and warned you before. For God did not call us to be impure, but to live a holy life. Therefore, Anyone who rejects this instruction does not reject a human being but God, the very God who gives you his Holy Spirit. See, the language of this passage could, could not be weightier or more emphatic. Paul is clear about what, what God expects and what the consequences of disobedience are. But I want you to also notice in that passage that it's filled with positive words about God's will and his calling as well as his empowerment through the Holy Spirit. This is God's will. 
His, his revealed will here is very specific. There's no guesswork here. From Paul's perspective, Christians must and can lead a life that conforms to God's and not society's norms. This is the calling, church. We're, we're going to have an opportunity in our Sunday night conversations in the months coming up to talk about sexuality and gender. And these are going to be great conversations. I have uh, working on getting a guest speaker in that's an expert in these fields, and I think it's going to be so helpful for us. Um, and so we're going to ex explore this topic in, in more in depth than we ever could on a Sunday morning. But I just want in this moment, in these moments for us today, I, I do, and the point of this series is this, to take aim at the pervasive cultural message that your sexuality is no big deal. It can be whatever you want it to be. The scripture says that every sexual act outside of a covenant marriage relationship between a man and a woman is sinful and is rebellion against God's plan and his best for us. And I'm going to say this again, maybe a maybe hundred more times, and he says this for our benefit and flourishing. His way is good. The trouble is, that the call to sexual immorality, which is a, a broad term that kind of encompasses everything that's outside of God's plan for sexuality inside of marriage, the call from the culture for sexual immorality for sin is absolutely everywhere. And for those of, of you, of us, who have fallen into it, and I'm not sure anybody has avoided it, the enemy's message to us around this topic is so loud. And the message uh, when you have sinned in, uh, in sexually in any way is that there's just no coming back from it. That if you've sinned uh, in any way, in this way, you should stay in your shame and you are disqualified forever. That's the message of the enemy. And I know a lot of you hear that and you think, yeah, that's true. That's where it is. And that's what the church thinks about me. I'm going to just try not to yell a little bit. Walt went back to the soundboard because he's like, I can tell she's going to start yelling right away. See, we believe this lie because the truth is that, that our, our relationship with sexual sin is unique. Scripture was clear about that. It's clear that there, there, there's a sin against the body that's, that's very unique. That's why it's not just like no big deal. It's true that sex makes us one flesh, according to Genesis, which is reiterated by Jesus, and our whole selves already belong to Christ, and so we, we can't be stepping outside of that and not have devastating consequences. And the act, acting contrary to that reality brings a lot of pain and brings a lot of dysfunction into our lives and our relationships. So while that is absolutely true, absolutely no restoration or healing is too hard for the power of Jesus. Like nothing. It's not like, like I said, somehow we got into our heads that these are unpardonable sins that you cannot be set free from or healed from. And that's the most ridiculous thing I've ever heard. Have you met Jesus? If you haven't, we can talk about that too. <laughs> but listen, nothing is too hard for Jesus to restore. He's the like beauty from ashes Jesus. Period. And in fact, there is a way to reject the culture's message and the enemy's condemnation, reject all of it, and live a life that is honoring to God with our sexuality. Galatians 5, 19 to 25 says this, the acts of the flesh are obvious. I actually love that it says that. The acts of the flesh are obvious. Don't pretend like you don't know, right? And look what the first one on the list is, of course, sexual immorality. We know 
We know. Impurity and debauchery, idolatry and witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, and envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the like. I warn you, as I did before, that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. Friends, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires, and since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. So I have to ask you, of those two lists that Paul writes to the church in Galatia, which one sounds more like a life that you want? So how do we do this? It's rhetorical because I know your answer. You understand. So how do we do this? I have good news to you because while sexual sin is unique in its effect on us, avoiding it isn't. It's the same as all other things that we could fall into that we're tempted by. It's the same thing. The Holy Spirit who has lived in you since the moment that you accepted Christ is the same Spirit who is growing all of that fruit in your life. And your job, follower of Christ, with the Spirit living in you is to cooperate with what the Holy Spirit is already trying to do in your life. Cooperate with it. Your sexuality is not something uncontrollable outside of your will or your emotion. You are one person, body, soul, and spirit who has been bought with a price, who is surrendered to Christ, who is empowered by the Holy Spirit, and that Christ follower is how we are called to live. Jesus said in Matthew 5 that sexual sin happens in the mind before it is ever acted on. And I say, that's fine. Because we are empowered to take every thought captive and make it obedient to Christ. 1 Corinthians 6.18 has told us earlier to flee from sexual immorality, which literally means make it your habit to flee. Like that is your natural recourse, to flee from those things, to make sure that there is no place in your life where you're building any other habit other than walking away from that and the culture's message. Make it your habit to flee. And I say that's fine. Because our habits are dictated by our thoughts, and our thoughts are made captive and obedient to Christ. Every mistake we've made, every time we've stepped out of God's best, every time we've made a like we, we have we've sinned sexually, his plan, been outside of that, his plan for our good, for our sexuality, there is hope through repentance and forgiveness. 1 John 1, 9 says, if we confess our sin, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sin and cleanse us from all unrighteousness, period. And so we can choose every day to cooperate with the good counselor and advocate that we've been given, the Holy Spirit in you. We choose to grow in love and joy and peace and forbearance. Does anybody else want that to be patience? Forbearance and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and gentleness and self-control. I need you to understand that when the Holy Spirit lives in you, you're not sad and asking for joy. You're not impatient and asking for patience. All of these things are fully realized in the Holy Spirit already. He has all the things. And he, not a part of him, he lives in you, which means all of these things already live 
in you. And that's why I'm saying it's, it's about growing these things and cooperating. You're not like, oh, I'm so impatient right now. Lord, give me patience. No, it's saying, Lord, help me to grow in the patience that is in the spirit that already lives in me. Do you understand? And so these things are already in you as a follower of Christ. This is why the culture's message does not have to be your message. That's why what the culture says about things doesn't have to be the way that you live. It is not too difficult to live a Christ-centered life because it's not about white-knuckling yourself into, per- into perfection. This is what we've learned in the church. Like, just hold on. Hold on to your sexuality until you get married. Like, that's all you can do. That's not the message of the Scripture. That's not the message of the Scripture. The Scripture says you walk with, with self-control because the Holy Spirit lives in you. You consider one another in love, in agape love, because of what the Scripture says in you. And the Holy Spirit works in you. This takes a heavy burden off of you, church. Because you are not just trying to be okay. Do it right. Do it right on your own. You are holding on to the promises of God for your life. For his good and perfect promises that are far better than anything that the culture can offer you. The culture offers you nothing like Christ offers you. He offers you all the things. And the culture says, yeah, you're free to do whatever you want. But not everything is beneficial. But, not, but, not, but you will not be mastered by anything. His promises are so much better than anything this culture can offer to you. So hear this on every side of this argument. Whether you feel like the culture's message is the right message or whether you feel like you have so much shame that you're carrying around because of, uh, because of mistakes that you've made in this area in your life, I want you to hear from Romans 8. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Because through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit, who gives life, has set you free from the law of sin and death. Verse 14. For those who are led by the Spirit of God are children of God. The spirit you receive does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. Rather, the spirit you received brought about your adoption to sonship. By him we cry, Abba, Father. The spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are children of God. See, friends, we don't live under the condemnation of the enemy's lies about us. We also don't live according to the world and the culture and all of those things. Instead, we live as children of God. Those who have been set free, but who are called into that loving relationship with the Father. There is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. We walk free in the Spirit. We are called to holiness by a loving God. Who made us a way to be holy. To give us the spirit to teach us how to walk in holiness. To reject the message of the world. And this is not going to make your life harder. That's what we keep being told by the enemy. Life is already hard. Doing it God's way gives you hope and joy and peace and confidence that you are not alone. And so this mixed message from the culture I would just say to you this morning, do you believe that God's way is better? And will you do it his way? Not on your own, but empowered by him, knowing 
that these commands in Scripture are from a loving God who has called you to something for your flourishing and will empower you to walk in it in Christ. Do we believe that? Let's just take a moment um, as we close this morning and invite the Holy Spirit to speak these words way, way more deeply than I ever could today. We just pause right where we are. Lord, I feel like I can feel the conflict in the room because I know there are so many voices that speak to the issue of human sexuality. There's the world's message. There's maybe even poor teaching we've heard in religious arenas in the church. We hear the enemy calling us to shame and to stay where we are, to not believe that we are called out of that by our loving Heavenly Father. There's the pride in us that rises up and says, I, this is a ridiculous message, I'm going to do this my own way. And any and all of these conflicting messages around this very particular topic, especially, God, we want to just call them out and recognize them. And we invite you, Holy Spirit, to do a work in us. For those who are struggling, because the, the idea of doing it your way just seems too hard, seems like they're just setting themselves up to fail, I pray, Holy Spirit, you would remind them who they are in Christ, that they have been given the Holy Spirit to live in them and to empower them for every single thing that is for their good, that is according to your way. And that living a life in you is so beautiful and free. I pray for those who are sitting here in, in agreement but also in shame. They chose in different ways to not make these things about you, not to do uh, these things your way. They made mistakes that they regret, whatever it is, and there's so much shame that the enemy would, would want to just lay on us. And we say, God, your yoke is easy and your burden is light. So we receive um, a release from shame and condemnation. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ. We receive the, 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 the freedom from confessing our sins, from a faithful and just God who forgives us and cleanses us um, from all unrighteousness. I just want to stand in those promises with my brothers and sisters here that the enemy would have no say in their lives and that there would be freedom in Christ from all past and a, a, a readiness to watch how you make such beautiful things out of our lives. Thank you, Jesus, for your redemptive work in every way. God, I pray for us as a church that we would be so sensitive to this message from the culture in what we watch, in what we say, in what we hear, that we would have um, ears to hear and eyes to see the things that are not of you, the things that are drawing us into sexual immorality, the things that are drawing us away from, from the way that you have set this out for us. You would give us good, great discernment in these areas and help us to flee from, make it our habit to flee from every kind of sexual immorality. 
that we would reject the message of the culture. Jesus, teach us in the church to model our lives after you, surrendered to the Father, walking in obedience to you, and, and, and believing with all of our hearts that we will flourish now and in eternity with these choices. Holy Spirit, come and grow the fruit that you have already uh, planted in us. Grow it in our lives in every way, in every single thing that we need. Teach us to trust you with every part of our lives, but especially this this morning. Give us a vision for what that looks like. Let us trust you in all of these things. God, I pray for so much freedom for my brothers and sisters here. And I ask in Jesus' name that you would do a good work teaching us your way every day according to uh, your great mercy and the lives that you have called us to in Christ Jesus. And everybody said,